Hello, and welcome to the Still to be Determined podcast. This is the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. And as usual, I am not Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm his brother. I'll be asking him the questions here, and Matthew will be hopefully providing us with some answers. Say hi, Matt. Hi, Matt. Always so literal. Every week. <laughs> Before we get into the episode, just a reminder, we have ways to directly support the podcast. You can go to stilltbd.fm, and there's a link there. And when you follow that link, there's a cookie jar. And when you get to the cookie jar, you can throw a coin in it. And when you throw a coin in it, we say thank you. And there's no cookies. And there's no cookies. <laughs> but even if you're not able to throw a coin in that jar, we thank you just for listening. Every kind of support is appreciated. Before we get into the newest episode, just a couple of comments on our last episode, which was titled Tired of Airships? Question mark. This is our episode where we discussed airships, which are repurposed materials turned into homesteads in an attempt to live as close to the land with as little of an environmental impact as possible. And some of the thoughts included these from Tangfish, who said, I just love listening to two bald, intelligent brothers. So we've got that. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Tang. There was also this from Roger Starkey, who wrote, once you incorporate all these ideas into your new home, Matt, will you be, quote, decided? <laughs> I see what you did there, Roger. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I will be decided. Uh, maybe mostly decided? <laughs> <laughs> there were also a couple of critical comments like this one from Maker of Things, who wrote, while we still live in post-World War II box homes, they divorced the home into a better home to create air, the home ships, the uh, earth ships. Additionally, earth ships can be staggered into steps and provide multiple residences in a small plot. And this was a sentiment that was mirrored by other commenters who were pushing back on the idea. Part of our discussion last week was Matt and I were talking about the acreage that might be required to live like this. Unfortunately, these commenters didn't provide any other information other than to say, you guys don't have enough information, but they didn't actually add to the information we have. Um, some of the information that I was able to find in my own research, and I think this is something that Matt, you referred to in your video, uh, the greater world earthship community is the world's largest off-grid legal subdivision. And it's 630 acres large, and it has 130 home plan broken out. That breaks down to 4.8 acres per home. So mm -hmm. if somebody is aware of good large-scale attempts for earthship design that uses less acreage or the kind of tiered approach that uh, the maker of things refers to, We'd love to, to see that kind of information and include it not only in possible future discussions, but Matt might revisit this subject in the future. And that kind of information would help inform those videos and help inform the other viewers and listeners. So if anybody yes. has that kind of information, we're absolutely open to it. Matt, I'm, I'm speaking for both of us here, but I view this as less of a a sermon and more of a conversation. Amen. Yes. No, the, the, my, all of my videos, this podcast, it's all a conversation with the viewers. And I learn just as much from the comments I'm getting as I am from my own research I'm doing. 
So it's, it's a two-way street. So if you, if I got something wrong or you have an insight that I did not touch on, I like hearing about it. Uh, just make sure that you're providing me uh, resources or citations or like you missed this and give me an example of what that thing is and why. Um, and that's how I learn. That's how I get better. So yes, please, please provide information if you have stuff. I think today's video that we'll be discussing is a perfect example of that kind of thinking. There were a couple of comments about your video today that pointed out you make a joke in the video about uh, here are some chemical compounds that are involved in this process, but I'm not going to teach a chemistry class about this because I would fail that class. And a couple of people pointed out you wouldn't teach a chemistry class about that anyway. That's nuclear physics that you're talking about. Chemistry is involved, but it's a nuclear physics topic. Yes. And yes. one of the people who pointed that is a teacher and said and gave some details about like this is what would actually be the course. And Matt, speaking for you again, I imagine the moment I read that, that your response would be, and that's a perfect demonstration of why I would fail that class. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm not a physicist. I'm not a scientist. So yes, I would be horrible at teaching these kind of things. And they're, they're, some of the viewers on my channel are like way smarter and knowledgeable about this stuff than I am. And so it's, right. that's one of the things I love about the comments is that there are people that fill in the gaps that I'm not able to right. fill in myself. And there's always sometimes incredible descriptions of people that are dropping in there that yeah. just kind of help fill that stuff in. So yes. And for yes, me, and yes. my involvement in the discussion, I think is born of a similar uh, seed of your interest in making the content on your channel in the first place, which is a genuine interest and mm -hmm. a layman's desire to know more and to share and to converse around this stuff. And so your videos are a distillation and yes. providing to yeah. a wider public who might not be aware of these things. And I think today's video, again, perfect example of that. Um, so let's get into the, let's get into the newest video. I keep referring to it as a big question mark mystery. Will the mystery guest please come out? It turns out today's episode is 28,000 year nuclear battery question mark. Let me <laughs> start that over again. The 28,000 year nuclear waste battery question mark yep. diamond batteries explained. And this episode is from September 7th, 2021. And I'm sorry, I keep tripping over the idea of nuclear waste in a diamond, which is in <laughs> a diamond <laughs> without diamond immediately thinking it sounds like the plan of a bond villain who's yeah. we're going to put a diamond in a diamond so we can shoot a laser at the moon. It just I'm kill you, Mr. Bond <laughs> <laughs> or a beautiful woman with a large rock on her finger and she angles it the right way and shoots a beam that kills yeah. the president of the United Nations. Or recharges her phone. Or recharges her phone. <laughs> I can kill this man or I can make sure my watch is still running. So nuclear waste trapped in a artificially constructed diamond, which is then encased in an artificially constructed diamond. And these diamonds are micro diamonds they would not yes. be anything that would be considered ring worthy or jewelry no, worthy. No, no no this is no minuscule little tiny things 
and you point out that it's microwattage. A hundred microwatts yeah. is on the image of the battery being proposed by the company in California that is this NDB. Yes. Yeah, NDB. So one of the things missing in your in your video was okay, a hundred microwatts. What could that run? Or what is the actual wattage of yeah. something that would be in our daily lives, like a watch or my iPhone? What kind of wattage would we need to run those things? A lot more than this thing provides. Uh, your iPhone, it wouldn't even power an iPhone. Um, you're talking about things like, uh, let's say you had a pacemaker. You could have a series of these in a pacemaker and it should be able to power a pacemaker basically forever. So you could put it in and you're done. So there's small itty bitty little transistors or receivers or something like that. Uh, the example I put in the video, which was the one that's, they used this technology in a drone that dropped off this little, like they called it an egg to keep meters on a volcano and right. its activity and the heat and the things like that. So it's like, that's where this stuff today really resonates and part of the reason I made this video was NDB got a lot of attention about a year ago when they came out and were like, this is the future of batteries. We're going to be powering EVs and they're going to last forever. And it got a ton of attention and then it died down. But over the past few months, there's been a kind of resurgence of news around this, around NDB and Arcanlight, which is the other company I talked about in the video. And the difference between the two is Arcanlight's actually being very forthright about what this is good for and not good for. And it's still in the theoretical phase. Right. And NDB is out there I'm not going to say that they're lying, but their their PR machine is overselling what it could theoretically do um, because they haven't even made like an actual product yet that's on the market. Right. And they're saying it's going to be the future of EVs and phones and laptops. Would you say that they're overselling what it can do or what it can do with our lifetime? I this is where my knowledge is, comes a little like based on what I found, it may be it will never hit that point because it just can't generate that much power. Um, and I'm talking about power, like an EV. It's not how much storage you have. It's how much power you need. Like when you put the accelerator pedal, pedal down, you're talking about needing hundreds of kilowatts of energy to power the motors. And that's kilowatts. You're talking about a kilowatt there's as opposed kilo to a microwatt. Well, there's kilowatts and then there's kilowatt hours. And like kilowatt hours is what you talk about when you're talking about how much storage there is in it. Mm -hmm. And then kilowatts is like how much power it's using. And so these batteries, in theory, you maybe, maybe you could get it to the point where you could have kilowatt hours at some point in the future. But are you going to be able to have enough power that you can suck out of that at once to be able to power something like an EV? And that's where, right. based on what I was reading, the answer is no. Uh, but I also believe in never say never. And I also don't know enough to say it definitively. Mm -hmm. uh, but everything I was seeing was pointing at they're completely overselling it. That's a nice way to loop it back yeah. to the James Bond scenario because Never Say Never is one of my favorite Bond movies. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so one of the comments on this one was from Guillermo Pacnaro, who wrote, imagine never having to change batteries on a remote controller, a watch, small things like that. I would absolutely yeah. use this. So yes. I guess the first question is, is that within the realm of possibilities do you think that there would be a time when somebody would be able to prove and i guess this is a question for not only you but for the listeners mm -hmm. 
what would it take to prove to you that this was not dangerous? There's nuclear oh. waste in the battery itself. Well, that's the thing is like several viewers put comments in there wonderful descriptions as to why beta radiation is not something to be concerned about. It won't even get through your skin. It, okay. It's like, it is so weak that it would just hit your skin and just go boink and does nothing would happen. Right. <laughs> it is very weak. It doesn't have any kind of like real power to it. So beta voltaics are actually very, 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 very safe. Um, even though it's radioactive is, is they are radioactive. It's, mm -hmm. it's not dangerous radioactivity. Right. So, I don't hence think there's the, going to be a problem. Hence the speculation that this could be used in things that would be implanted in your body, like a pacemaker. Correct. Right. Like there used to be plutonium pacemakers. That was dangerous. Right. <laughs> if, potential if memory leak. serves, the, the people with plutonium pacemakers ended up turning green, grew three times their normal size, and then ran through the wall, and we haven't seen them since. Yeah. Or had giant glowing things on their chest and right. flew through the sky. Right. Science. Mm. There was also this comment from Milo, and this is one that kind of hit it for me on the head. Uh, a Kindle or an e-ink word processing machine could run on these wattage levels indefinitely. That'd be a fun product. Imagine storing virtually every book ever on one device that always has a charge. Prepper, preppers would gobble it up. And I think See, that that's, that's what I'm talking about. It's like yeah. there are so many like little use cases where it's like, well, how much power does it take to run an e-ink machine? Well, not that much, actually. It's like so maybe that's the kind of realistic presentation you can have to this. And mm -hmm. these are things that would have a meaningful impact on all of our lives, but it's not going to be powering our renewable future of EVs and high powered devices. It's it's there's there's better, more realistic things we can use with it. Right. There was also this in the same vein from Chris Batista, who wrote, this would be great for powering smart door locks or access point security door locks. No need to have a battery backup installed for every normally closed relay lock. Buildings usually have normally open relay locks that would unlock when the power goes out so people could exit the building safely in a case of a fire. I also imagine this would be a place where potentially smoke detectors uh, carbon monoxide detectors with this kind of power source where you wouldn't have to worry about it being hardwired or having that backup battery that in my experience here in my home, there was a short in our smoke alarm system. And what it was doing is it was killing the batteries that we would put in the nine volts that were going in for the backup were getting mm -hmm. zapped and they were shorting out. And after about six weeks, the battery would die and it was having to be replaced again and again and again. And finally, they fixed it by replacing the units that were actually mounted in the ceiling. This kind of battery would avoid that need for that backup battery. That would be a tremendous, it would, a tremendous but, advance. But one thing about the smoke alarms, though, is they still have to be replaced because the sensors that detect the smoke and the carbon monoxide, they go bad over time. So it's like you still have to replace them every number of years. Mm -hmm. But something like this would mean you wouldn't be replacing it because the battery has been going bad or something like that. It would be because the sensor has gone bad. Right. And how weird would it be to know that you had an alarm go off saying, oh, it's time to replace the smoke alarm itself, but I can keep yeah. the battery and use it in the new one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wondered about things like LED lights, low <laughs> low uh, wattage lights, what kind of power do they require? Could they run off of something like this? And I'm thinking in mm -hmm. terms of like emergency lighting, not yes. something that would fill a room with light, but something that might be a strip of LED around a door so that if the power went out, you'd be able to identify exits and things like that. 
Absolutely. This could absolutely do that. Maybe not today because like this is still very much theoretical, but you right. daisy chain enough of these together, you could get a couple of watts, maybe a watt or two and LED strips. You might be able to get some for just a couple of watts that could be dozens of lights, like an airplane, you know, those lights that go down the, <laughs> the edges. Right. It's like you don't need a lot of power to run that. So it's like you could have stuff like that for emergency lighting and situations like that. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what is the time frame that the companies are looking for? And follow-up question, what are the governmental restrictions that they could potentially run into as far as being able to make and then sell to use these? Well, there's nuclear radioactive stuff that they would, obviously countries would have their own requirements about what they can do. The descriptions of how this technology can't be repurposed for like somebody asked could this be used for dirty bombs it's like no you would need so many of these things and again it's beta radiation beta particles which are not dangerous but there's obviously going to be requirements because there's safety and you have to make sure there's no leakage and everything's good or being recycled properly so there's going to be like logistics around that um but the companies like Arcanlight is talking about having something that could be a commercialized product in the next you know five to ten years if not sooner, if they can, um, NDB, which has been overselling what they can do. I have no idea. <laughs> like if they, right. Based on their claims, they're going to be solving all of our problems in the next five years, which is not going to happen, but they may have an actual product that's out there being commercialized in the next five years. What that product is, we'll have to wait and see. Cause like, again, this is still in the lab. That's the thing. It's it's still a theoretical thing. And going from lab to commercialized product, there can be a massive gap because that's where the real rubber meets the road. And like, think about solid state batteries. Solid state batteries have been being in the lab for decades and we still don't have commercialized solid state batteries in a massive scale yet. Mm -hmm. So it could be a while. One of the last comments I wanted to, to share is one that takes a left turn into a different topic. And I was wondering if you wanted to share any thoughts you had about this or if you had any information or plans for the future to talk about it. Jay Johnson wrote, while this is interesting, the most compelling use for, quote, spent fuel from current commercial reactors is as fuel for some of the advanced in development reactor designs that have the promise of burning that fuel. Mm-hmm. And it burns it so completely that what remains is virtually inert. Yep. And I was wondering, what are your thoughts about that? And do you have any plans on future discussions around that? I do. I've already done a couple of videos on topics close to that. Like there's small modular reactors, there's thorium reactors. Um, I've done topic videos on both of those. Um, things like thorium reactors, you're basically using waste from nuclear facilities to use in that facility and then your byproduct is something that's very safe right. so for me i am very bullish on that idea the question though is can they do it safely and at scale and at a good cost and so when people always leave comments in my videos of like just go nuclear it's like yeah just go the most expensive way to produce energy it's like that's not gonna <laughs> it's yeah. not gonna happen unless they can get costs to come down or if they can get support from governments they can give incentives to help drive that cost down to drive more adoption and to get rid of the boogeyman of nuclear because so many people are scared of nuclear because of what we've seen, you know, Hiroshima and like yeah. the, the meltdown in Japan and, you know, 
everything three, three mile three mile island, island. it's like it's it's scary there's a boogeyman yeah. around it but the technology that's in use that's being proposed today is so much safer than all the things that cause problems like that i i've personally turned around i used to be in the oh let's not go nuclear we don't have to and i've kind of turned around on that and been like I do believe at this point we do need to go nuclear, small modular reactors, thorium reactors, because it can help to chew through that waste. There's very safe ways to do it, and it provides a wonderful, clean baseline of energy that we need. We can't just rely on solar, wind, and hydro. We need as many solutions as we can get. So yes, I will touch on that again at some point. Lastly, this from Jay Perrin, who kept it simple with a quick comment saying, this is worth keeping an eye on. And he spelled ion, I-O-N. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Perrin, I think you've won the week. Congratulations. There is no prize, but you won. <laughs> so to our listeners, would you put one of these batteries in your pocket? That's the question. And what do you think in your house would be the things that you would see this used in? We've already mentioned things like potentially smoke detectors or remote controls, but are there things that we're missing? Please let us know what you think. You can find the contact information in the podcast description. While you're there, you can, of course, subscribe. There's also ways to directly support the podcast. Visit stilltbd.fm, and you'll see the support the podcast link there. And whatever kind of support you're able to give, whether it's just listening or actually providing support through that link, we appreciate all of it. Please be sure to give us a rating, a review, and share us with your friends. All of those really do help the podcast. And the podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. And then Matthew sneaks a diamond under my pillow. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.